Before we start this episode today, I just wanted to let you know that if you have been patiently, patiently waiting to enroll in my signature course, SEO Made Simple, the doors are now open. At the time that this episode goes live, you will have the rest of this work week to get enrolled before it closes again. And the only way in the future that you'll be able to enroll is by being on my email list. But right now, for this week only, you do have the opportunity to join on a publicly available sales page. So you don't need to join my list. You can just check it out right at theunconventionalrdbb.com. As you probably know, I've spent pretty much the last like six months updating, I would say, 90% of the course content. Until Friday, June 2nd, you can join the SEO Made Simple course. Because honestly, if you are not implementing SEO strategies on your website and you're just posting willy-nilly, you are wasting your time. Even if you feel like you're seeing some success with what you've been doing, I promise that will seem like nothing in comparison to the traffic you can get when you do SEO right. So again, if this sounds exciting to you, check it out at theunconventionalrdbb.com. By the end of my course, you will be confidently creating content you know will get seen, cackling to yourself as your blog traffic grows month after month, on your way to making good money from your website, and proud of what you're building online and not afraid to show it. And no joke, it is possible to make great money from blogging. I mean, some people out there are even making $10,000 and up per month through their websites. But honestly, even like an extra $1,000 per month would be fabulous, right? This course will show you how to build the audience to get there. I'd love to have you join me and the 885 other fabulous students who have already signed up on this journey. So again, check it out at theunconventionalrdbb.com by this Friday, June 2nd to enroll now. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. If you're a dietitian who's thinking about starting a business, you've probably heard all about the importance of niching down. How many times have you heard the sayings, the riches are in the niches, or when you speak to everyone, you speak to no one? Probably a million, right? But what if you don't know your niche? What are you supposed to do? Well, first, take a deep breath. You're in the right spot. Keep listening. In this episode, I'm going to walk you through four clear steps to finding your niche as a dietitian so that you can confidently build a business that you feel totally aligned with and that genuinely serves a useful purpose in the world. And if I'm being quite honest, I think finding your niche is often one of the hardest parts of entrepreneurship. Sometimes you have the inherent drive to start a business and you feel like you're meant to be an entrepreneur but you don't know exactly what business you want to start. Who are you going to help? How are you going to help them? What problems specifically are you going to solve for people? And via what methods? These are really big questions, and it's totally normal to not be certain about any of them when you're just starting out. The goal is to find work that you love, that you're naturally good at, and that solves a problem for someone. That's the sweet spot. That's how you're going to wake up every day feeling joyful, peaceful, and excited to show up for your people. Because if you don't love it, 
you're not going to wake up feeling joyful and excited. If you're not naturally good at it, then you'll feel a sense of resistance instead of ease while you work. And if you're not actually solving someone's problems, then you're going to struggle to get customers. So you really need all three of those pieces, work that you love, work that you're naturally good at, and something that solves someone's problems. And before I share the four steps to finding your niche, I want to clarify exactly what I mean by niching down. So choosing your niche means picking the area you want to specialize in and the way that you're going to help people. Once you have these two pieces nailed down, your path to entrepreneurship will become much clearer. The answers to these questions are going to be different for every person, so you need to think about what feels good to you on the inside and roll with that. So let's go over the four steps to finding your niche. Four steps. Sounds easy, right? And on the surface, it is. But I want to remind you that finding your niche is a journey. There are no instant shortcuts. You have to do the work and implement each of these steps. Then the clarity will come. Let's do a quick summary of the steps before diving deeper into each. Step number one, self-assess. Figure out what you enjoy and what you're good at. Number two, brainstorm. Find subjects you're interested in and the ways you like to help people. Number three, network, because you really can't do it alone. Number four, take action. Get real-life feedback on your ideas to find out what might work. Let's go into these steps one by one in more detail. So let's go into that first one. Step one, self-assess. First up is the introspective work. Digging deep and asking yourself questions that will help you get clarity on the types of things you enjoy and are naturally good at. I want you to ask yourself the following nine questions. Number one, how would you spend your day if you could do anything? Like if you had full control over your day, your dream work day, what would that look like? When would you wake up? What would you do first thing in the morning? Would you go somewhere or would you be working at home? And what would you be working on or participating in? Would you be alone? Would you be with other people? And how would you like to end your day? And then beyond just how your individual day flows, what is your dream lifestyle look like? Do you envision working in a busy office? Do you want to work from home? Do you want to travel a lot? Do you want to have seasons to your work where you go really hard for a couple months and then maybe take a month off? Like some people structure their business that way when they do a really intense launch and then they pull back a little bit and focus on serving. So do you want to work a little bit every day or would you rather work longer hours a few days a week and then have the rest of the days off? Do you want to grow a team or would you rather be a solopreneur? And how much money do you want to make in profit in your business? Remember, you're in charge, so you can actually decide this stuff and make it happen. Question number two, what kind of career might fit your desired lifestyle? So once you have this vision of your ideal day and your lifestyle kind of planned out, then you can work backward to figure out what type of career might be able to provide that lifestyle for you. So let's say you're envisioning waking up early, driving to an office for appointments, and this is a great office that you own and you've decorated. It's your sacred space. You meet with clients for maybe five or six hours that day. You come home, you have some time for yourself and your family, and you do this maybe three or four days per week. I mean, maybe you're a person who really thrives off interpersonal interaction, and this whole setup sounds like a dream. If that's you, maybe an in-person private practice is something you should look into and pursue. 
Or perhaps you envision maybe waking up without an alarm, having some time to yourself in the morning at home or time to take care of your family. And maybe you want to meet with clients virtually, just three or four hours a day on your computer, maybe in the afternoons. Perhaps you have a really awesome desk-based setup that would be perfect for this type of thing. Then you see yourself shutting down work for the day, picking your kids up from school, or maybe having some time to yourself. But I think at the root of this one is your goal is to have flexibility to schedule things around your life rather than scheduling your life around your work. Maybe you enjoy some interpersonal interaction, but you don't want to do it all day. Then if that's you, maybe something like a virtual private practice where you can still get that client interaction, but it's slightly more flexible because you can technically do it on the go wherever you are. You don't have to be at a physical, certain physical location to have an appointment with someone. And maybe you do it slightly fewer hours per day or fewer days out of the week to give yourself some more flexibility. Or maybe like me, you know that one-on-one appointments completely stress you out. You prefer quiet, introspective work like writing or photography. You imagine maybe having a set of weekly tasks that you need to get done, like put out X number of blog posts or social media posts or stuff like that, Um, send out X number of emails, but you're able to kind of slot them into any day of the week based on your schedule and your energy levels. And ideally, you envision getting paid and making money through content creation. So if that's you, maybe start looking into a career that utilizes blogging or YouTubing or social media or podcasting or maybe even freelancing, like doing content creation for other businesses and getting paid for it on your own time and your own schedule. Like Maybe that would be right for you. Or maybe you just can't get enough of public speaking, and in your dream life, you imagine traveling around the world, speaking at and organizing events, and the thought of being at home all the time literally bores you to death. Then maybe, you know, organizing speaking events and conferences or retreats might be a really good fit for you. And on and on it goes. There's really an infinite number of scenarios you might be able to dream up. So get really honest with yourself, and try not to get sucked into what other people are doing, but give yourself the space to really imagine and feel what feels good to you and go with that. Try to tune out the external influences as much as you can and listen to what your gut is saying. Number three, what did you enjoy as a child? This can help you get some clarity on your natural inclinations and what you like to do when left to your own devices. So for example, when I was a kid, my favorite thing to do ever was either read a book or play school with my stuffed animals. Yes, I was that kid who would come home from school and then play school. I even wrote a book for fun over summer break in elementary school. So, you know, I think the common thread here is that I've always been obsessed with learning and then teaching. So it's kind of funny to look back at that because that is basically what I do today. I'm constantly learning and experimenting with my online businesses and then passing that knowledge on to others through my online course, my podcast, my content in general. So I found a way to teach online, create content through my blog and my podcast. And, you know, that's pretty much the perfect fit. It did take me five years to get there and figure that out, but it happened eventually. And it's kind of funny to look back at how well it aligns with like the things that I naturally gravitated to as a kid. And then as another example, my sister, in contrast, we were pretty opposite as kids in terms of our interests. She was always outside being active. She was a sports person. She was always on like the varsity sports teams, getting the gold medals. Meanwhile, I'm like over in the corner with the participation ribbons, but you know, trying really hard. Uh, But today she actually is a swim coach 
And she does that part time while she raises her young daughter. So again, it just feels like for both of us, we kind of came back to our roots and ended up finding careers that really speak to our natural interests and things that originally sparked joy for us in childhood. So, you know, I highly recommend thinking about the types of activities you were drawn to as a child. Those are great hints for the stuff that you really actually enjoy. And how can you bring those activities that you're naturally drawn to into your life today? Number four, what do people tell you you're good at? Think about what you get compliments on. When do people say, oh my gosh, thank you so much for your help. I never would have been able to figure that out or something like that. I think for me, the feedback I generally get is like, oh, thank you for helping break down this complex topic into something I can easily understand, which I think is just another way of saying you're good at teaching, which is, again, that thread that I've been drawn to forever. Uh, So think about that for yourself as well. And then the next question, what do people ask you for help with? What are they coming to you and saying, hey, can you help me with this? A lot of times we don't even pick up on these things. Like we take it for granted that, oh, if we're good at XYZ or we know a lot about XYZ, we just assume everyone else is also good at it or knows a lot about it. But nine times out of 10, that's not actually true. So what do people see you as sort of an expert or an authority in right now? Maybe you could turn that into some sort of business idea. Like maybe you're really good at coming up with recipes for your family and you assume that everyone else obviously comes up with meal plans every week and it's easy because it's easy for you, but that's not true. It's not easy to everyone else. Or maybe you're really good at computer stuff. Maybe you're really good at writing. Maybe you're great at editing. Maybe you're amazing at photography. How can you pull these skills into your current or future business? Question number six, what makes you feel in the flow where you could just start a project and then all of a sudden the whole day has gone by and you didn't even notice? Those are the things when you can get into that space. That's when you really know that you've hit on your true thing that you're just inherently good at. I'd say for me, that's writing or creating of some kind. Like I can be on my computer writing and hours just go by. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? It's been three hours that I've been working on this. And obviously that's going to be a different thing for everybody. Maybe for you, it's filming videos or cooking or counseling, something where you're just in it and you're so in it that you completely lose track of time because it's fun and you don't feel like you're working. Question seven, what makes you feel totally drained? So on the flip side, What makes you feel drained? These are the things that you probably want to start phasing out of your business and not include in your dream life. So for me, that happens when I have too many appointments with people and not enough alone time. So I do, I function just fine in social settings, uh, but I am an introvert. So those social settings really drain my energy and I need alone time to recharge. So at this point in my life, I've gone through this enough to know that if I book too many social activities or work calls or things like that in any given week, by the end of it, I just need like a day where I don't talk to anyone. (laughs) Something where I'm just like reading a book or or doing some introspective work on the computer, uh, something like that to recharge. So maybe that's not you. You know, other people are the opposite. If you're an extrovert, social interaction recharges you and you leave those interactions feeling revved up, jazzed, super pumped, and you don't feel drained. So think about that when you're planning out your life. How do things like social interaction make you feel and how can you remove some of those things that drain you? Number eight, what kind of work 
do your do you dread so for me again that's one-on-one appointments like I don't know how many of you can relate to this but if I have a one-on-one appointment coming up it's all I can think about for like days ahead of time it'll be like Monday and I'm like oh man that appointment on Thursday It's all I can think about and it just kills my productivity. I can't sleep the night before. I'm just like thinking about every which way the appointment could go. And then afterwards, I go completely overboard and do way too much follow-up. It's just really not a good use of my time or my skills or my strengths. So that might be you too. Or you might be the complete opposite. Maybe you love your appointments and you're like, oh, I have to do writing on Thursday. And that's the thing that, you know, totally puts you off. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that you're aware and you know how different types of activities affect you. And then the last question, what are you not inherently good at? So these are the things that, of course, you could do. I mean, I really believe that most of us can do most things, but the things that you're not inherently good at just might take more energy or effort than maybe it should. So for me, I would say that's probably graphic design. (laughs) It's not that I can't do graphic design. It just doesn't come as naturally to me. I don't have that natural design eye. Like I can recognize when something looks good, but then I can't reverse engineer it and recreate it from scratch. It just takes so much mental energy. And then I tend to be the type of person where I'm like, oh, okay, like good enough, when really maybe it's not that good enough and it doesn't really look that great, but I'm just like over it, you know? So that would be an example of something where clearly I think I'd be better off outsourcing than trying to spend my limited resources and time on graphic design because I'm just not efficient at it or really that good at it. <laughs> so again, the goal here is to ask yourself these nine questions to try to get a clear vision of kind of the type of work that you would enjoy so that you can work backward to figure out a career that might be able to provide that lifestyle for you. And again, there's really an infinite number of scenarios that you might be able to dream up. So get honest with yourself. Do not get sucked into what other people are doing. Give yourself the space to really imagine and notice what feels good to you and go with that. Next, I want you to get out of your own head and figure out what other people think you're great at. This can be a goldmine of information. Again, sometimes we just can't see our best qualities because we just assume, you know, again, if we're good at something, everyone else must be good at it too. It's nothing special, right? But that is definitely not the case. Chances are your family and friends will quickly be able to tell you what they think you are uniquely really good at, even if you can't pick up on those things yourself. So your action step here is to ask 25 people what they think your top three qualities are. You could ask on social media, email friends, or even send out an anonymous survey. But keep it simple. Just straight up ask people, what are my top three qualities? And I know that might sound weird. Like, huh, I'm just going to email people and ask them for a compliment? But if you're just transparent about why you're doing this, like you can tell them you're trying to get clarity to help hone your business ideas, it's really not as awkward as it sounds. And a lot of times, people are really excited to tell you what they think you're great at. You can also consider taking a personality test. Personality tests can give great insights into what type of businesses might be best for you. Some popular options include Myers-Briggs. That's the one that gives you those four letters. So I am an INTJ, which is the mastermind. You might also see the Enneagram. I'm a three, which is the achiever. Or DISC, I am high in C, which is clarity. And fun fact, I actually surveyed the members of the Unconventional RD Facebook community and found that the most common Myers-Briggs type for unconventional dietitians 
is INFJ, aka the counselor, and that, which I think is really fitting. And the most common Enneagram is three, the achiever, followed closely behind, though, by type nine, the peacemaker. And I thought it was really interesting. I looked into this a little more closely, and INFJ is actually one of the rarest personality types out there. Just about 2% of the population is INFJ. But that particular personality type tends to be drawn to careers in healthcare, education, and counseling. So I think it makes sense why there are a lot larger percentage of dietitians who might fall into that personality type. And then Enneagram 3s are kind of rare too. They only make up about 10% or 11, I guess, 11% of the general population, but they were the majority inside the unconventional RD group, which again, I think makes sense because it's a group of professionals who, you know, proclaim that they're looking for out-of-the-box career ideas and uh, Enneagram 3s tend to especially be drawn to entrepreneurship. So I highly recommend taking any of those personality tests yourself if you're looking for some fun, kind of playful insights into how your personality might play into your future niche. And also once you figure out your personality type, try typing in like blah, 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 personality type, career. And you'll also get some really good free information on how to kind of shape your career around your personality. And then I want you to write these answers down to help you find any patterns that might emerge. Sometimes we don't make time to actually sit down and think about these things, and life just passes us by. And if you don't have that clarity on where you're trying to go, it's going to be really hard to get there. So it's important to take a moment, sit down, answer these questions, so you have clarity on what you want your lifestyle and your career to look like. Then when opportunities come up, you can ask yourself, does this opportunity align with my business goals and life vision? That will give you clarity on whether or not to accept certain positions or projects or pursue certain ideas. So let's go back to the four steps. So step number one, remember, was self-assess. Now let's move on to step number two, brainstorming. This is where we brainstorm subject areas we enjoy and methods of helping people we enjoy. So basically, we did all this self-assessment to try to figure out kind of the type of work we might enjoy, but we need to apply that specifically to our field of nutrition and dietetics. So first, what nutrition subjects are you interested in? There's an endless number of options here, but here are some creative ways you can think about helping people. You could help people by health condition. So do you have experience or interest in a particular medical condition that benefits from medical nutrition therapy? By special diet, do you enjoy helping people implement a specific type of diet? By perspective, do you feel passionate about a specific framework within dietetics, like health at every size, functional nutrition, sustainability, equitable access, etc.? Or by age group, do you love working with a particular age group, like toddlers, postmenopausal women, older adults, etc.? Or even by interest, do you enjoy working with groups of people interested in a specific topic, like sports nutrition, cooking, gardening, test prep, genomics, etc.? The limit is really only your imagination. Next, you need to decide, how will you help people? Once you have an area you want to specialize in, you need to decide how you will help people. Some popular ways include one-on-one -on -one work, like virtual or in-person private practices, could be a solopreneur thing or even a group practice, group work, like time-limited group programs, often online, in-person events, like conferences, masterminds, or classes, paid education, like online courses, seminars, symposiums, or certifications, 
free content like blogs, podcasts, YouTubes, uh, social media content that could be monetized via ads, sponsorships, or affiliate links. Subscriptions like paid newsletters, support groups, membership sites, digital goods like ebooks, workbooks, or other low ticket downloadable resources. Physical goods like cookbooks, books, or other merchandise consulting for food companies or other businesses, or even done-for-you work, like agency services. You could do copywriting, SEO, marketing, etc. And you can definitely help people in more than one way. But it's almost always best to pick one avenue to focus on first before expanding. Step three is to build a network. Find people who are doing exactly what you think you want to do. If you see people out there doing what you want to do, that's actually great! It means that your idea has legs. If someone is doing what you want to do and they're making money on it, you can likely do that same thing and make money at it too. Then I want you to connect with these people as a peer. So rather than viewing others in your space as competition, view them as peers and possible mentors, people that you can connect with and learn from. And when you're connecting, I think it's best to approach people as a friend rather than approaching with some immediate ask. For example, do not message someone and ask to pick their brain. (laughs) Instead, tell them how much you enjoy their work or provide something of value to them. That's a great way to get noticed and for people to remember your face and your name. And who knows where that might lead in the future. So just make it a habit to engage with people in your niche online. Follow these people on social media, join their email list, participate in their Facebook groups, comment on their social media posts and website, share their work online. Be an active participant in their sphere. As someone who runs a large Facebook community, I will tell you, I remember the people who comment and share and post. So for all you lurkers out there, push yourself to engage and participate enough so that people start to recognize your name and your face. Simply by being active in someone's community can give you a leg up when you do get the chance to connect with them further. And when was the last time that you reached out to someone that you follow and let them know that you appreciate their work? I recommend setting aside some time to send someone you admire a quick thank you message or give them a compliment on something they're working on. And don't discriminate. Reach out to people who are both ahead of and behind you in their entrepreneurship journey. Everyone loves to be recognized, and you never know. Your message may be the thing that keeps the person going when the going gets tough. And this all comes down to the importance of relationship building. We want to connect with others in our space because relationships matter. You're not trying to build relationships with this intention of getting something out of it, but rather because having genuine relationships is a cornerstone for authentic community and growth. For example, if you want to put together a virtual event in your niche, the more people you're already naturally connected with, the easier it will be for you to find things like speakers and affiliates. And on the flip side, if one of your peers is putting together an event or thinking of an opportunity, you will already be on their mind as someone to reach out to. People won't think to refer you or include you in something if you're not connected with them. And I am in a lot of Facebook groups. Not all dietitian related, but I am in quite a few dietitian related groups. So if you're looking for a place to organically connect with other food and wellness professionals in your niche, I put a list of my favorites in the post on my website for this episode. Again, that's at theunconventionalrd.com. Just look for the blog post on how to find your niche as a dietitian and you will see the link right there. 
And of course, my number one favorite place is my own Facebook community, the Unconventional RD community on Facebook. So if you're not in there, definitely recommend joining. You can connect with thousands and thousands of other food and wellness professionals who are all interested in unconventional career paths. And if you're out there on Facebook looking for a group and you can't find one around the niche that you have in mind, create it yourself. That's right. If it doesn't exist yet, that's a sign that it's meant for you. And before we move on from this topic, I want you to dig a little deeper into the businesses of these people that you find in your niche that you admire. Make a list of five people who are doing what you want to do and then answer the following questions. What do you admire about their brand and why? What platforms are they doing really well on and why do you think that is? What types of services are they offering? What are they charging? How are they marketing and selling their products or services? How long have they been in business? Can you find podcast interviews where they share how they got to where they are today? And how can you connect with them? Use the answers to these questions as inspiration. Do not copy someone else in your niche, but do get curious about how other people are running successful businesses. And then step four here is take action. Until this point, everything that we have talked about has just been theory, but action is what will bring you true clarity on your niche. And for all you perfectionists out there, I'm speaking to you right now. Stop waiting. You are ready right now. Whether you feel ready or not, you're ready right now. And remember, it's okay to try something and be bad at it. It's okay to try something that you thought you love and actually hate it. It's okay to be super passionate about something, only to change your mind later. What you try today is not what you're going to do forever. You will grow and change. Your business will grow and change. And that's normal. So do not let the fear of permanence or uncertainty hold you back. Jump in and try something. That is how you'll learn. It's going to be scary, but you have to do it anyway. And just remember, nothing is permanent. So do not let analysis paralysis hold you back. And while you're out there taking all that action, listen to your body and your mind to see how they're responding. What type of work feels fun and light? What do you look forward to in each day? What could you start doing? And again, all of a sudden, five hours have gone by. And in contrast, what type of activities are giving you a pit in your stomach? What frustrates you? What feels out of alignment with your beliefs or your personality? What topics get you excited to talk about on and on and on? Or what makes you hesitant to talk about because you're not really passionate about it or maybe you're even embarrassed by it? What clients or customers have you worked with that you seem to get the best results for? I guarantee there will be patterns that emerge if you work with enough people. But really, it's all about doing and reflecting. Because without doing, you're just guessing on all of this stuff, and you'll never get any closer to figuring it out. And for those of you out there who are like, oh, I have a nine to five, I have a family, when am I supposed to be taking all this action? Well, guess what? You have the privilege of working in the margins. I know, it may not feel ideal, but try to reframe the situation if you can. Sometimes it's even preferable to start your business while you have a nine to five. Having stable income can remove some of that pressure to figure it all out ASAP. Because there's really nothing worse than trying to sell from a place of desperation. People can smell that a mile away, and that's just going to add to your frustration. You don't want to add the feeling of being completely broke on top of the desire to find your niche. That's not a good combo. So learn to work in the margins of your life. You've got the mornings, you've got your lunch breaks, 
you've got evenings, and you've got weekends. And it's really those small steps each day that will lead to huge results over time. So today, I want you to make a list of three potential niches you might be interested in and start researching them. Figure out what is required to become an expert in this area. What's the time and financial cost? Who are the mentors available in that space? The support available, etc. And then what small step can you do today to get started? And once you've chosen the one you're most interested in, just jump in. Seriously. So again, that's it. The four steps to finding your niche as a dietitian. Again, to recap. First, we self-assess to figure out what we enjoy and what we're good at. Then we brainstorm subjects that we like and ways we like to work. Then we network. We find people in our hypothetical niches that are succeeding out there, and we connect with those people. And then number four, we take action. We get real-life feedback on our ideas to figure out what might work and what won't. And don't stress out. Again, nothing is permanent. We're all in this together, and you will figure it out with time. Take that first step. You got this. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed recording it. If you think this might be helpful for someone that you know, please send them the link to this podcast episode, whatever you want to do. Share this content with anyone you think it might genuinely help. And as always, hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening platform of choice so that you're sure to get all of the new episodes. I'll catch you next week.